Matt? Yep. I sometimes think that the universe is a machine designed for the perpetual astonishment of astronomers. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Who said that, Matt? I don't know. Put me out of my misery. Well, it's Sir Arthur Charles Clarke, isn't it? A hundredth birthday, Matthew. It's his hundredth birthday. As this show goes out, it will be his hundredth birthday today. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. December the 16th. The legend that is Arthur C. Clarke. The prophet of the space age. That sounded so prog. That is definitely an album, isn't it? Definitely. Prophet of the space age. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. Incredible scenes. Elon Musk hopes to make a profit from the space age. Good, Matt. Good. Thanks. Everyone just ignore Matt. Oh, yeah. It's award-winning comedy, I'll just point out. Really yeah. is. I, uh, really I won, is. Uh, I won uh, Best Funniest Person in the Office yesterday. Did you? Yeah. Out of how many people? I, I was about 20, 20 people in there. Oh, blimey. Yeah, and uh, I also make award-winning tea, apparently. Award-winning <laughs> and, tea? And award-winning messiest desk, <laughs> which I should imagine is easier to believe. That's quite the three, yeah, I definitely believe that That's the that big one. three. Talking, wow. of, talking of big three... Yeah. So... Arthur C. Clarke, mm-hmm. he was known as part of the big three of science fiction. Who were? Do you know who they were? Well, you're probably talking Robert Heinlein, aren't you? Is what? What is Robert Heinlein's most famous, or Heinlein? What's his most famous book? I don't know, Matt. Tell me. Uh, it, it, again, I have no idea how to pronounce his surname. It's another oh, one where you go. sort of look at it going... Well, I've seen it loads of times, but I've no idea how to pronounce it. Now, now I'm having yeah. to do it on a show. Um, he wrote Starship Troopers. No way. Yeah. And Stranger in a Strange Land. So Whoa. two cl- literally sci-fi classics. Absolute classics, yeah. And the other of the big three, of course, is probably the most famous of the three, actually, is Isaac Asimov. Mm. But yeah, those three were the big, big three science fiction writers. They were. But the reason why, obviously, we have a special affinity to, to Arthur C. Clarke or Sir Arthur C. Clarke is because he, uh, A, the, the, the British Interplanetary Society has, has Arthur C. Clarke House in Vauxhall. Absolutely. And uh, he was, at uh, several times, the chairman of the British Interplanetary Society, twice. Yes. 46 to 47 and 51 to 53. But he had actually joined the society... It, when he was a teenager, back in 1934. This is before 34. anyone talked about space travel. So this was pretty, you know, the British Interplanetary Society often are regarded as the people who invented the spacecraft. Jeez. Yeah, jeez Louise. 1934. Yeah. That was a while ago, that, man. That's when he joined. So he was very young when he joined the society. Um, but he's done lots of things other than write, like, Amazing science fiction. Of course, what's what's his most famous work? It's definitely, Matt, 2001. Easy, isn't it? 2001, A Space Odyssey. But that was based on his The Sentinel. Classic. Which he wrote way back in 1948. And he wrote it for a BBC competition, but it was rejected. But it really is the kind of framework for all his great science fiction, i.e. that whole idea of being faced with a alien technology that's so advanced that it just 
seems almost unimaginable and seems like magic to the person mm. looking at it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's always about mankind coming up against these kind of superior alien intelligences. So he popularized in some ways the, the concept of space travel from the 50s onwards. That's pretty cool. And then he then for some reason he became a scuba diver where he discovered the underwater ruins of the ancient Kunaswaram temple in Sri really? Lanka. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So he's he's pretty cool. And and of course he was one of the commentators on CBS for the Apollo 11 moon landings. That's how big a that's, name he was. Yeah. Uh, that's and, amazing. I mean in some ways um, Arthur C. Clarke is to the British Interplanetary Society as Carl Sagan is to the Planetary Society in America. Yeah, completely agree. I wonder if we can find the audio of that commentary. Oh, yeah, it's out there. Yeah, it's out there. In fact... We when, should try and put that up. Yeah, uh, because when we talked about uh, Astronaut of the Week, Shirar, uh, mm. he was also on it with oh, really? Arthur C. Clarke, yeah. Ah, okay. So, so I, I believe I posted a picture as uh, on the uh, as part of the... Uh, photos for that particular episode quite cool i believe you did yeah yeah uh he was not as a lot of people say the originator of the concept of geostationary satellites right but it was kind of his idea that they'd be ideal for sort of telecommunications which of course they are massively uh, involved with today so mm. he did get a lot of recognition for that in fact i believe it was your namesake the franklin institute oh, yes. that awarded him the uh, a special medal in 1945 the stuart ballantyne medal that is cool, nice is that, that yeah. is very cool and in fact that type of orbit is uh, recognized by the international astronomical union as the clark orbit it's nothing to do with shoes <laughs> yeah size six and a half uh, one of his friends said in the 1950s i'd go out drinking with his boyfriend we met his proteges western and eastern and their families people who had only the most generous praise for his kindness self-absorbed he might be and a teetotaler but an impeccable gent through and through see imagine being a gay man in the 1950s well i think that's one of the reasons why he moved to sri lanka yeah probably well, I mean, imagine being a gay man in certain parts of America today. Or Absolutely. Certain parts of the, well, or worse, other parts of the world, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yes, rendezvous with Rama. We've talked about that a lot on the few, last few shows because, yes. of course, of the Humuamua asteroid that's entered the solar system, that's which right. really is very, very similar to the whole Rama story. And, it in is. fact, you know, the very, I remember on the first episode that we mentioned this, you said, what about all the alien nuts? Haven't they gone mental about this? And uh, recently, yeah, the, the alien thing has really picked up some yeah, what a surprise. Uh, headwind. And it's, you know, stories in the Telegraph and everything about, you know, SETI, all looking out to see if there's signals coming from the cigar-shaped asteroid. But no, there aren't. It is just a rock flying through. Yes. I mean, what what would be the chances of it being an alien spacecraft? It just seems ridiculous. Yeah, pretty slim. It's when I know it. When I know it's um, out there in the popular mainstream media, is when my friends who don't 
care about space say uh oh you like space what about this alien thing that's going to hit us soon <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> where's the, where's this story yeah it's genius tell me your, where's your where's your sources tell me where you got that it, it is funny because people in the office have started bringing up the story to me going oh have you heard about this um this this cigar shaped asteroid thing it's yeah. like well if you listen to my show you know i would exactly yeah and i start pushing them around and go for goodness sake um yeah so you know it would be amazing if it did turn out to be an alien spacecraft on arthur c Clarke's 100th birthday i'd like that that would be fitting yeah morgan freeman wants to make that a film and it has been kind of optioned to be made a film but and and you can go on youtube and actually see kind of uh film trailers for it but it's just never going to happen it's Really? really annoying yeah oh yeah. But anyway, Arthur C. Clarke, happy birthday, Arthur C. Clarke. Happy Clark. birthday. You absolute legend. Complete. Knight of the realm. Legend. I mean, if you think about all of the science fiction writers, directors, producers, I don't think that many of them would say that 2001 wasn't their absolute influence. Oh, no, totally. I mean, I, he really is. In terms of writing, science fiction writing... He is just one of the most important people ever. And, and of course, his futurism as well. If You, you mm. have to check out that clip on, on YouTube where he, in, like, in the 1974 or something, he mm. predicts the internet. And he, not only does he predict the internet, he pretty much gets the year bang on when we'll be using it to book our holidays and things like that. It's just yeah, incredible. Scary. He's uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, just a great, great, great intellectual thinker. Let's just hope the FCC, Matt, Let's us continue to do what we're doing for free. Do you know what? That that uh, I, I'm glad you brought up uh, net neutrality. Uh-huh. I, I dread going on the internet at the moment because it's that that whole debate has collapsed into stupid political um, just tribalism. Yeah, it and has. I, I, what I would love, what I would love, is to actually have the facts because. When you look at it, it's like the, the whole thing isn't about net neutrality at all. It, it's mm. about the fact that an FCC made a decision a couple of years ago that they've realised that they can't really sustain. Mm. And that's all it's about. It's just that that pie guy is just the worst communicator of all time. If, yeah, if he'd ironic, actually just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if only he'd laid out the case a bit better, then we would understand it. But I, th- I just think it's one of those things that's so complicated mm. uh, that if, if you were to look at it and have like a proper discussion, you'd get to the bottom of it. But everyone's just decided to just go on a side and then shout their mouths off about it. It's just like, no, this isn't going to get anywhere. Reminds this me of just... something similar. Um, what would that be? Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> it's very similar to Brexit. No one <laughs> like has every... the facts. Everyone no one picks a side yeah. and then massively regrets it. Yeah, I, ju- I just look at it and go, I have no idea about uh, net neutrality and the ins and outs of the legal and, and political and commercial uh, things. And, and yet there's all these people like, shout, like, you know, film stars and actors and pop stars. It's like, you don't, you just don't know. I know you don't know. There's no way you can know. Exactly. Anyway. They've seen another tweet and that's it. Yeah, hey, they've Matt. all joined in. Yes. You want to know what SpaceX has been up to? Do you know? <laughs> I love the. This is basically this is sick in the mouth moment, isn't it? This is like, oh my god, it's happening! It's so exciting. So SpaceX informs the media that quote accreditation is now open for the Falcon Heavy's demonstration mission from Launch Complex Thirty Nine A 
at Kennedy Space Center in Florida. The launch is targeted for January 2018. Yes. We're one month away. We are a one month away. You thought I was going to say 2019, didn't you? <laughs> We're a month away, folks. That'd be pretty, pretty... Uh, I don't think the press would hang around for a whole year in the... In the uh... <laughs> I don't think they would. I think we need to get our accreditation and get over there. Yeah, where are our press passes? Come on. Well, we just need to apply. Job done. Right. This has been a busy week in space, Jamie, because that was like a minor news story. It was. I want to start with Bresnik, Nespoli and Ryan Zansky of Roscosmos. Nice. All came back down to earth. They did. It was wonderful footage. Yeah. Oh, oh man, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Because it came back, came back down in the snow. Yeah. Which was beautiful. Proper little Christmas present. It was. So they've spent 139 days in space. They've orbited Earth 2,224 times. They flew through 35,000 sunrises and sunsets. And they've travelled 94 million kilometres. It's ridiculous. Those are some (laughs) stats, Matt. Thanks. And when they came back, when they came back, they had to get that. Their braking was from 28.8 thousand kilometers an hour to a standstill in less than three hours Jeez. that's pretty good isn't it that is pretty good and it's quite stressful when you see them coming out of the capsule you think because it still looks pretty almost barbaric the, yeah. the capsule coming down and hitting the, the hitting the ground it just yeah. seems so old-fashioned but it's still the only way back down what are you gonna do so uh nespoli is the is the hero of this one because he's he was on his third space flight so he's done 313 days in space almost a mm. whole year bresnik's done half a year and that was his second space flight and uh, ryan sinski also on his second space flight but he's almost clocked up a year with 306 days not bad eh? amazing stuff good work gents and they've done loads of they've done loads of science while up there like yeah, absolutely loads of science. Bresnik even fixed a little bit of uh, Canadarm 2. Oh, yes. Uh, on, a, on three spacewalks that he did. Ryan Zansky uh, conducted a spacewalk as well to get some uh, samples and uh, do a bit of structural maintenance. And uh-huh. he even deployed a few nanosatellites. Show off. Yeah, <laughs> while he was out there. Just while he was up there. Currently, there's only three people on the space station, and that is Alexander Misurkin, um, Mark Vend, Hi, and Joe Akaba of NASA, and but there'll be a three-person person crew going up on Tuesday, December the nineteenth, and that will be Scott Tingle of NASA, Anton Shkabelerov of Roscosmos, and Noroshiki Kanai of Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency (JAXA). Scott Tingle is a good name, isn't it? <laughs> Scott Tingle is a great name. Scott Tingle. Yeah. Wow. So if, if, if ever he's walking through and he steps on Anton's foot, Anton can go, I've got a bit of a tingle on my foot. <laughs> or he tingle on my yeah. hand. Yeah. I wonder if Scott gets annoyed at all the tingle gags. There's got to be a lot of tingle gags, aren't yeah. there? Yeah, there must be. So what else happened this week? Well, let's talk about Blue Origin, shall we? Oh. Yeah? Yeah, my favourite bit about- Shepherd Flight. Include an instrumented test dummy dubbed Mannequin Skywalker. Yes, Mannequin Matt, Skywalker. Yes. I saw Star Wars last night. Oh, don't talk to me about it. I'm going on Sunday. Shut up. I won't say a thing. Just letting you know that I saw it. Don't even tell me if it's good or bad. Not going to say a thing. Thank you. Not, Thank you very much. You're getting a peep out of me. 
Shall we do a review next week? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. No spoilers, though, still. No point. No spoilers. So, yeah, yeah, Blue Origin flew the, their new Shepherd up again, 14 mm-hmm. months since the last time. And this time it's got a much, much a bigger windows, the biggest windows ever in space, according that to like Blue Origin. Trump would say. Yeah. <laughs> I have well, we'll the biggest on, windows. Believe we'll get me. on to Trump in a minute, which is, uh, which is uh, I saw a brilliant article on that. I one. hope no so, one ever has to say that in real life. No. Oof. It went up, it went up, and I, this morning I watched the video from uh, Mannequin Skywalker's perspective out the window. I watched the video because I saw you post it up. How cool is it? It was really cool. Yeah, although, say, I mean, I, I'm thinking about the cost of how much that's going to be. Mm. Ten minutes, and it's a little bit... And I'm thinking, is, is it enough for the for the amount of money they're going to charge? I mean, it's really yeah, it's cool. a lot of money. But I've kind of, I kind of feel as though I've done it now with that YouTube video. I mean, can't you just stay up there a bit longer? Yeah, or, or even a bit higher. Because it's it's like it yeah. it barely reaches space. In fact, it actually got uh, to ninety nine point two seven kilometers, which which by my reckoning mm-hmm. is point six kilometers short of space. Oh, you'd be annoyed, wouldn't you? If you'd paid all that money and you came down, yeah, you didn't even get your space. And wings. you had some smart, smart couple of smart asses like us say, no, "Well, actually, really um, space, though, have you? I don't think you technically went into space." Wow. But the good thing about that uh, that flight is there was a lot of uh, experiments on board. So there was, oh, yeah, yeah, there was like T-cell experiments that were from the Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and microgravity mm. uh, experiments about tumour growth. And nano-racks have got lots of stuff on there uh, and working with universities with things like... Um, medical technology for managing collapsed lungs in microgravity and stuff like that. So, Wow. <coughs> is that your collapsed lung there? Yeah, it was. That was my collapsed lung. It's horrible. So I really like <laughs> this, actually. So the Bob Smith, the CEO of Blue Origin, this is what yeah. he said, Bob Smith. You couldn't make that up, could you? Well, you could make it up. It would almost be like the Bob generic Smith. name. Yeah. Uh, Today's flight of New Shepard was a tremendous success. It marks the inaugural flight of our next generation crew capsule as we continue step-by-step progress in our test flight program. Congratulations to the entire Blue Origin team on a job well done and to our payload customers that gathered important data on the suborbital environment. Gradatim ferociter. <laughs> Why did he end with that? Oh, that's brilliant. Well, I bet he wrote that out no, but gra- and then thought, should I? Uh, but Gradatim Ferocita is the motto of Blue Origin. Oh, do you know what? I didn't know Yeah, that. so... Okay, so it's Latin for step-by-step ferociously. Yeah, and, and Jeff Bezos explained that as, if you're building a flying vehicle, you can't cut any corners. If you do, it's going to be just an illusion that it's going to make it faster. You have to do it step-by-step but you do want to do it ferociously. It's weird. You sounded a little bit like Nanny McPhee there. Yeah, well, Jeff Bezos uh, famously sounds like uh, Nanny McPhee. Oh, good work. Thanks. On another impressive uh, impression. Well done, Jeff Bezos. That looks exciting anyway. Good work, Jeff. Yeah, well, Trump, in the meantime, Trump signs space policy directive number one. Is this the only good thing he's ever done? Well, do you know what? I was looking at this and I really did think, oh, this is brilliant. Yeah, we're going back to the moon. He's, he's signed it into paper. Yeah. But 
There is a brilliant critique of it by a guy called Stephen Aftergood, who works on Secrecy News. Uh-huh. And he's basically, uh, he holds the government to account all the time. So he goes through all uh, public um, literature and, and government policies and, and sort of disseminates them. And this is what he had to say about this. So he said, President Donald Trump is sending astronauts back to the moon, enthused NASA public affairs in a news release. But the directive itself does no such thing. Instead, it makes modest editorial adjustments to the 2010 national space policy that President Obama adopted in the presidential decision directive number four. (laughs) So this is all that's changed. So Obama's policy had stated... Set far-reaching exploration milestones by 2025, begin crewed missions beyond the moon, including sending humans to an asteroid by the mid-2030s, send humans to orbit Mars and return them safely to Earth. And all Trump has done is edit that and say, lead an innovative and sustainable program of exploration with commercial and international partners to enable human expansion across the solar system and, and to bring back to Earth new knowledge and opportunities. Beginning with missions beyond a low Earth orbit, the United States will lead the return of humans to the moon for long-term exploration and utilisation, followed by human missions to Mars and other destinations. So there's a little bit in there, mm. but still, it's only an amendment. Is it like uh, when he says that, that he tweets every, every other day that the stock market is at a record high yeah, and that he's just, created loads of jobs? And then what I love is that always the first reply is, thanks, Obama. <laughs> So, um, President Trump said at the end of this, he says, this directive will ensure America's space program once again leads and inspires all of humanity, but it doesn't allocate any new resources and it uh, uh, just modifies the existing authorities and current legislative proposals. Mm. It it doesn't even do that. So it, it does nothing, essentially. But the weird thing is, he left in all the global climate change research and climate monitoring part of the original Obama paper. It's really bizarre. Yeah. I wonder if he even knew that. I doubt he knew that. Yeah, we just didn't read it. He just thought, well, what will not. look good? Well, I'll just sign this bit of paper and pretend we send people the back Emperor's to the moon. The Emperor's new clothes, Matt. Now, I, I saw a lot of people moaning about NASA this week. Oh, yeah. Because NASA recently have got into this groove of... Um, and saying that they're going to announce something amazing, and it always looks like it's going to be about aliens, and mm. uh, they've they've discovered aliens, uh, and it never is that, of course. Um, and and this week it was uh, something they have discovered a new planet in the Kepler ninety system, mm. and they've done that using Google's AI uh, research. So okay. the yeah, so the Google, Google's AI machine learning algorithm has taken another look at Kepler's data and found another planet in that system. And they're calling it Kepler 90 I and it sits in between uh, Kepler 90 C and Kepler 90 D. Yeah. So, and uh, which makes it now joint uh, most amount of planets in a star system joint with our own solar system. Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty cool, cool, isn't it? And it's actually it's actually pretty close. It's only two thousand five hundred light years away. Oh, yeah. Should we go there later? I don't see why not. But that's quite interesting. So AI is is helping the hunt for exoplanets. Mm. That's amazing. Uh, remember Sally Ride? Remember our astronaut of the week, Do Sally I Ride? Ever. 
Yeah. The first American woman to fly into space. She is going to be on a stamp next year. The oh, United nice. States Postal Service have announced. So that's quite cool. That is very nice. Good one. So, well, you know you've done. You've, you know you've done well in life if you get on a stamp. Yeah, big time. So there was there was a few launch things this week. Rocket Lab still haven't managed to launch their electron rocket yet, oh, as we fast. announced last week. They keep uh, keep aborting it at the last second, but it might be tonight. It might be tonight or on, uh, Rocket this Lab. afternoon. So I hope so. It'd be absolutely awesome. Uh, same with SpaceX. They've got their resupply mission up to the space station, and that's been keep slipping back. But that might go up today as well. However, Blimey. the Europeans have had no such delays and have managed to get the Galileo uh, four Galileo satellites up, which has almost finished the, the entire GPS constellation, which is pretty exciting. Well, Matt, as Europeans, we're yeah. showing the world what to do. No, exactly. And actually, the Chinese managed a long March 3B as well with an Algerian comm satellite. Do you like how I but, said we? And I've had yeah. very little to do with the launch. Well, we have, though, Jamie. We've been spaced, we? you know, well... Because of our space advocacy, yeah. uh, we're, we're allowing, you know, ESA to be able to carry on doing the good work. Award-winning space advocacy. Yeah, award-winning space advocacy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Have you got the latest iPhone, by the way? Uh, not the latest one, I'm afraid, oh. no. Although, do you know what? For the first yeah. time in years, I actually am considering throwing my iPhone down a big well and getting... Google Pixar. Is it Pixar or Pixel? Pixel. It's Pixel, Pixel. isn't it? The f- the iPhone that I've got now, it just seemingly wants to just die all the time. And I've yeah, changed the phone. Good. I've got a new phone. It's not my network. I've gone to Apple three times. You know, websites keep freezing. It's almost as if, Matt, like planned obsolescence. Yeah, that that's, They're trying that's to make me buy the new phone. But the new phone and the Google Pixel, I believe, uh, contain the chips that read the Galileo GPS signals. Really? So, yeah. So there we go. Well, I'd like that. Uh, I did read a really, really interesting uh, science article. Go on. Uh, that I really, and I know that you love this because Juno being doing its really close flybys oh, of Jupiter. Yes. And it's really, really interesting, this one. So as it flies in, it, it's, it really does skim the cloud tops of, of, the, uh, of, of Jupiter. It only goes like three and, three and a half thousand kilometers away from the top of the clouds. I love that. So it's literally skipping across. Uh, and it's detected hydrogen, oxygen, and sulfur ions moving at relativistic speeds in a new radiation zone just outside the atmosphere. So that's like these crazy um, centres of atoms with their electrons removed, just yeah. whizzing about at near light speed. Jeez. Uh, yeah, so obviously that's a pretty pretty dangerous radiation. And that new new radiation zone is inside Jupiter's previously known radiation belts. Uh, and Juno just flies straight through them, so that's how it's picked them up. And Heidi Becker of Juno's radiation monitoring investigation lead at JPL says, the closer you get to Jupiter, the weirder it gets. We knew the radiation would probably surprise us, but we didn't think we'd find a new radiation zone that close to the planet. We only found it. Yeah. And we only found it because Juno's unique orbit around Jupiter allows us to get really close. And we literally flew through it. So that's really cool, isn't it? That is very cool. One of my favorite pictures in my house ever, Matt is of Europa going past the red 
the red storm, the red dot. Amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, actually, the um, I mean, that was Voyager, wasn't it, that took that picture, and it's it's, right. it's incredible. But they've used the wind data from the Voyager flybys to animate some of the Juno uh, um, public webcam images so ah. that you can see the new th- those pic- the Juno pictures of the red spot actually rotating so they've used wind data from the from that from that very uh picture that you you have up in your um up in your house incredible yeah it's absolutely awesome wow so, yeah got to love Juno so the other day I went to the window with my kids and do you know why I went to the window with my kids go on so I could be in the picture that the Kepler Space Telescope took as it turned back and took a picture of the Earth. Ah, oh, check it out. Yeah, so it did a bit of a Carl Sagan manoeuvre, turned around, took a picture of the Earth, and I made sure that me and the kids were by the window so that we, we were in the shot. Amazing. Captured forever. I want to be able to zoom in and see your lovely faces. That's brilliant. Jamie, we're almost at the end of this lovely programme. We are, aren't we? Yeah. Do you, to to space, our, do you want to tell us a space? Do you want to tell us a space? Snotty fact? selves off to uh, you know get some lemsip. Yeah, indeed. Do you want to tell us a space fact? Uh, would I ever? Are you ready for this? Yeah, go on. If we had a really nice telescope, and we discovered a massive, perfectly aligned mirror floating in space, twenty-four light years away, then we could see the Apollo landings happening in real time <laughs> but what, are the, that? what are the chances of finding this mirror do you think i like i like the wording really nice telescope <laughs> yeah yeah, that, yeah that's a that's a mat special that i like that i like that a lot it, it it made me think a little bit about what we could do is have telescopes that were stationed a long 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 way away from earth mm. So that if we saw something interesting, we could get the data from those telescopes later on. So you'd have one to the west that would be looking to the east of Earth. And and then if someone picked up a supernova but didn't quite get the telescopes round in time, yeah. then you could get that telescope round in time because it would take a few more hours for the, for the uh, light to reach that. But then I realized, how could you tell that telescope to maneuver unless you were doing it in faster-than-light communication. Mm. I realised my whole plan was flawed. Well, that's your homework, listeners. Go away and figure out how we can do that. Yeah. And maybe, you know, these, these like, really weird mirrors could be really cool. But then the more I think about it, the more I realise that I'm just not making any sense. You're a mentalist and you need to just get some sleep. But yeah, if we did discover a massive mirror floating out in space, we could learn a lot about the Earth. Why don't we just put one up there, Matt? Because by the time it gets there, we could only see what we had seen already. It's very annoying. But it it could solve a lot of arguments. Imagine if we put a massive mirror at the other side of the solar system, and then someone said, oh yeah, you did this. He said, no, I didn't. And then you go quickly over to the... Uh, telescope and watch yourself doing what you did or what you didn't do <laughs> you say look the earth isn't flat and they'd say yeah but that's photoshopped in the mirror oh Fake man news. well that i mean that jeff bezos flight proved that the earth was flat as far as i can tell 
<laughs> but you're going to be promoted in the Flat Earth Society. Yes, definitely. To and did you Grand see, Dragon. Did you see all the alien spacecraft flying around outside as well? Um, I, I didn't see any, no. Oh, well, you obviously weren't looking properly. Oh, there were clearly back. things flying around out there. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's the Interplanetary Podcast. Putting Put the A's. A's. Back. Back. Dans le l'espacial. So, yeah, there we go. Beautiful stuff. Well, thanks again for listening. Sorry we're a bit bunged up, but, you know, it is the season. Yeah, we are, we are um, snotty today, aren't we? And, uh, you know, get yourself over to iTunes. You know what? You know the drill. Five you stars. You know it by now. Good reviews. Sub- yes. Subscribe. Everything else. And keep subscribe sending in emails. Yourself. I did read an email that told me to watch the Electron launch, so I stayed up for two hours until mm. about three o'clock in the morning, and then it didn't happen. Which oh. was, which was, you know, in some ways, I didn't enjoy that email in the end, but I still enjoyed the email, so thank you very much for that. <laughs> Absolutely, thank you very much. Um, hey, Matt, you know it's Christmas coming up. Yeah. What would be the perfect Christmas present that someone could get from our website? I think you could definitely go and buy your best friend an interplanetary podcast mug. That's my favourite oh bit of the God, merch. Are you serious? Or you could get interplanetary podcast T-shirts, interplanetary podcast wall clock. Wall clock. You can just fill your boots. Or That's clocks and iPhone covers and stuff like that. <laughs> it's just genius. That is stocking filler heaven. Um, so you know, just saying, if you're if you're stuck for ideas. What's the website, Matt? The website is www.interplanetary.org.uk forward slash, and then I think it's merch, but just go to the website and just, just click on the merch. Just go to the bit. website. You'll find it. You'll You're find smart it. smart people. Do it. All right, Matt, it's been a pleasure. Listeners, thank you, and we'll see you next week. See you soon. Au revoir. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.